You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly interviews on topics to help entrepreneurs make their first or next step in business the right one. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Have you prioritized time for building your personal brand alongside your business on social media? Most of us either spend too much time doing this without seeing results, or others, like myself, don't devote enough time to it at all. In today's episode, I am talking with the brand-building expert, Jasmine Starr. Jasmine is the CEO of a service called Social Curator, which helps business owners get more followers, engagement, and sales on social media. She created this company from her own experience as a social media and brand building expert. In this episode, Jasmine was more or less coaching me, but it's also extremely helpful for all of us to better understand how to build out our personal brands on social media in a way that will help our businesses grow. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 110. And now here is my conversation with my friend, Jasmine Starr. Jasmine, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Thanks, Alex. I'm already starting off. I just came off a laugh. I think that you're particularly charming and I'm trying to act super professional as we start in, but we just, I, you just said something really funny before you push record. So this is me saying thank you so much for making me feel warmed and welcomed. And I'm really excited to talk about building a brand. Very cool. Very glad to have you here today as well. And I have to say, it's very rare that I bring somebody on who talks faster than me and has more energy than I do, but I'm pretty sure you have me beat in both areas. So we'll see how this goes. You know what I always say, Alex, is that I don't talk fast. People listen slow. So (laughs) there you go. And people can listen to this on a slow speed if they're listening on a podcast. So prepare your hearts. We're about to hit the nitrogen level. That's that's funny. I've never heard anyone say it before. And you know what? One of my friends, his name's Eric. He just sent me a recording of him listening to my podcast at the uh, the half a percent, I guess. Mark, <laughs> yes, one. It sounds ridiculous. Um, and I talk fast, but not that fast. So anyway, um, so moving along here, this podcast is called Creating a Brand. And it's actually been a while since we've had somebody on the show to talk about exactly that, creating a brand. So I want to say thank you for being here. Bring us back to our roots, Jasmine. Really excited to dive into this this topic with you today. Thank you. I could talk about branding all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. So I'm here to get that party started. <laughs> Love it. So when I was thinking about this topic and having you on the show, what, what my mind really went was to, to myself and many of the listeners I've talked to, we're building software, we're building a service, we're building a product, whatever it might be. And we're not really devoting our time to building out our personal brand, especially on, on social media. We're, we're busy, again, doing these different things. And I know you've heard this before, obviously, and I just want to see if you kind of have any opening thoughts on this. And should it be prioritized even early on when you're trying to build first, again, that product service or whatever it might be that you're doing? Well, the answer is yes. And for somebody who's listening, who says, no, Alex, I'm, I refuse to build a personal brand. My answer is yes, both for people who are aiming to build a personal brand, but also people who are just trying to build a brand around their business. And so the answer to that is truly, instead of us being so consumed with a, with what a brand is, um, you know, Seth Godin defines a brand as a series or set of expectations that empowers a a customer to choose one business over another. And that's like a really beautiful elevated description of what a brand is, but it's also a little esoteric. So like the basic hood version that I subscribe to of what a brand is, is what somebody says about you when you're not in the room. And that's what I really want people to focus on because a brand is not a website and it's not your business card and it's not uh, your typography. It's truly how you are making somebody feel about you 
and or what you're selling. And I could speak to this both in both capacities. Number one, I build out a personal brand. And before we started recording, I told you like, hey, there's a good chance just due to the nature of where I am in my life right now, my daughter is eating lunch. And so you'll hear her in the background. And half of me, Alex, half of me knows that half of the listeners are going to think that doesn't sound professional or I hear noisy things in the background. And then the other half of the audience might be like, wow, here's a person who's trying to balance a professional and personal life. And those two people feel two entirely different things about me. And I am okay with both of those. I don't need people to like me. I need people to trust me. And how we build trust is to show up in our true authentic selves. Will that be for everybody? No. But for the people it will resonate with when you're not in the room, what those people say about you, that's truly what's going to expand the business. I think Dale Carnegie said it best, that your business will go farther being genuinely interested in two other people than trying to get 200 people interested in you. So you and I are doing this podcast for the two people who will walk away feeling more confident in who they are, in their story, and how they're going to market their business. That's who I'm showing up with. And I believe that a brand is the foundation to any business. And we see this again and again. I couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, for me personally, I always, I kind of have this mantra that I say regularly that I do for one person what, what I wish I could do for all, knowing that I'll never impact everybody because Ooh. a lot of people, they look at me or they hear me and they're like, nah, not my style, right? Like, and that's, that's regular. And that's okay to be that way. I think that many of us, we don't take this first step, we like to hide again behind the product or service, because we're afraid of maybe being judged or that somebody won't like us because that hurts a lot of people these days. Obviously, you've become very comfortable with that because some people like you said, just aren't going to to gel with you necessarily. What are your thoughts on somebody who's saying like, I don't even want to put myself out there because I'm afraid of what I might receive back or not receive back? Well, I acknowledge the emotion. But emotions aren't reality. Furthermore, your thoughts aren't reality. Just because you think something doesn't make it true. And so the first things that I do outside of being empathetic to somebody's journey is that in any given situation, if, if you were to walk into Ram Stadium, Los Angeles Coliseum, and sit in chair 237, and then you realized, you know what? You know what, Alex? That person in chair 137? They don't like me. I can't be in the stadium. I'm going to walk out. We would think that is the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard. And yet on social media, the world's largest stadium, we become afraid of what an invisible person sitting in an invisible chair will say about us. And to that, I say, okay. However, I refuse to live my life dictated by the person who's sitting in sweatpants with orange fingers as a result of eating Cheetos and being a keyboard warrior. Their opinions of me don't pay my bills. My clients do. And the more that I show up broken, perforated, and unperfect, trying to be myself and then admitting like, hey, sometimes I get it right, sometimes I don't. And bringing people in that process, it will not make everybody like me. I do think it will make a small group of people trust me. And it's those small group of people that will have transformative effects in a business. I've seen this a thousand times over, but even if we were to talk about the iterations of my business, I started off my very first career as a photographer, and I quickly realized that I wasn't intended, nor did I want to be liked by every prospective client in the world. I didn't even want to be or need to be liked by a thousand clients in the world. And then I started distilling it even more. I didn't even need to be liked by a hundred clients. I was working in a luxury market. And at the end of the day, Alex, in my perfect world scenario, I realized that all I really needed truly 
was 25 clients to think that I wasn't the best photographer, period. I needed to think that I was the best photographer for them or for that project. And I think oftentimes as business owners, if we were to really, really distill what it is that we want, it's not we need a million people to like us. What we really need is a small group of people who will invest in the thing that we're doing to get us to where we want to go. That all of a sudden shifts the way we contextualize the brand and then gives us the courage to show up understanding you're probably not going to be profitable. You're probably not going to be popular. Most people are not popular, but the people I'm speaking to, we want to be profitable. And that's what I can speak to clearly. I love that. I think that's so powerful. And actually, this kind of brings up a point that I wanted to get into. I'd love to hear the short version of your story about how you really discovered this idea of, of branding yourself, branding your company, because I think it's just really powerful. And for me, it painted a really great picture of what I should be doing and should have been doing all along. I'd love to just kind of hear what brought you to where you are today. Well, I will, but I'm going to start off with a preface. And the preface is that there's going to be a lot of people who do not like what I say. I'm going to start off by saying there's a lot of people who it's going to rub the wrong way. And there's going to be a lot of people who hear this and immediately disqualify my place to speak about branding. So I'm already calling out for what it is so that when people hear it and they start feeling those emotions, number one, no, you're not alone. And number two, I've heard it all before 10 times over and I still continue showing up the way that I, the way that I am. I'm going to say something that will split this audience in half. And I am going to say that a brand empowers a person or a business to be mediocre and wildly successful. And for the people who are really, really, really talented or really, really, really educated or really, really, really connected, that really pisses them off. Because that is the old canon is that the letters behind our name the commas and zeros in our bank account, who our parents are friends with at the country club. Those were the passports to get us to where we wanted to go traditionally. And then the internet came around and it democratized everything. And the internet understood something that the old canon of privilege didn't, is that you don't have to be good. You have to resonate. You don't have to be good. You have to have attention. You don't have to be good. You have to freaking care. And then all of a sudden there were business owners who other people who were more talented and richer and wittier and more connected and more popular would look at, but why them? And I'm here to say that by and large, the vast majority of consumers are making an emotional decision. I am talking about multi-million dollar emotional decisions to buy a home. I am talking about tens of thousands of dollars to make an emotional decision to buy a car. I am talking about an emotional decision to buy a lipstick, an online course, a muffin from a local bakery. We buy out of emotion. And yet what we as business owners would like to do is to lead with the lipstick, the muffin, or the car, understanding that people aren't buying a muffin. They're buying the reason of the muffin. They're buying what they feel in the car. They're buying what that house represents to them. So I came along and I started realizing that if I created content, that empowered people to connect with me as the creator, not just the creation, that connected with me as the artist, not just the art, that connected with me as the course creator, not just the course. When I realized that if people had a deeper connection to the emotional component of what they were buying, game over. And people who are of my folk and kin, people who are underfunded, underconnected, undereducated, we look at that and say, ah, we got to fight a chance. Those are the people who I speak to. Man, that is fire, Jasmine. We could end right here, but we're not going to. We're going to keep on going, but that is so good. Oh my gosh. Thanks, friend. 
Yeah. So going back to, to your story, when did when did this start for you? At what point did you decide, okay, I'm I'm gonna step in and this is gonna become who I am? This is how I'm gonna be transparent and show the world and ultimately ended you up here. Well, I want to be very clear. And I wish I could look back and say that it was part of my plan the entire time. Like I knew what branding was. I had no idea. I didn't know what I was doing until I did it and looked back and distilled at what it was. All I knew was that I dropped out of law school when my mom had a relapse with brain cancer. And all I knew is that I wanted to be a photographer and I didn't own a camera. And then all I knew is that when I was given a camera by my brand new husband, a camera that's like bought at like Best Buy. Okay. So we're not talking about Like we're talking about a, what they call a prosumer camera. Like it's a professional consumer camera. That's the camera I had. And that's the camera that I started my journey, which would later on become my career. And what I realized was that I didn't have what other photographers had. I didn't have a nice car. I drove like a, like, like a 10 year old Honda Accord with an oxidized hood. So the whole car was black. And then my hood was like an oxidized gray. Like <laughs> I had no swag. Um, I didn't have a portfolio. I didn't have printed work. I didn't have a website. I literally had nothing. And so I knew that in, in the game, I was completely, I wasn't even on the field. I wasn't even on the bench. Like I wasn't even in the locker room. Like I was outside of the stadium wanting to be like, oh, I'm going to be on the field. And so what I realized was that I understood the game and I understood the rules, but I understood I was probably never going to get in the stadium. So decided to create a game on the outside. And the game on the outside was to bring people in on a journey. So I couldn't afford a website. So at the time I started a blog because it was free and I started talk, documenting my journey. And the very first post on this blog was almost a way to give, it was a permission slip and I didn't know it was a permission slip. It just said, I'm going to make mistakes. I don't know what I'm doing. I actually don't know the difference between myself and a chicken because the chicken and I both have like feet and breathing orifices and um, we're scared out of our minds. I'm a chicken. I'm a chicken. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm going to give myself a year to see if this photography thing works out for me. And if not, I'm going to go back and get my law school scholarship. That was the first blog post. So all of a sudden I gave myself permission to be like, listen, I'm not trying to start a career. I'm just going on a journey. And so what I started doing was I started writing about um, the lenses that I rented, or I was starting about like, if I went somewhere with my husband on a trip, I would take pictures and document the trip. I was documenting my mom's uh, recovery from brain cancer. The blog became an outlet and lo and behold, people started reading the blog to see part of the journey. And that even if they weren't in the, the, even if they weren't in the need of a photographer, if they knew somebody who was, they were passing my name along again. I was not talented and I was not good. And yet, because people became emotionally connected to the story, I became the, photog the, the photographer on the top of their mind. And that became a game changer for the business. So if we were to look back and not have it be the Jasmine story, and we look at this as like, what can we do as business owners? The idea would be to create content that brings people on in what it is that you do. And it doesn't mean that you're over personal and it doesn't mean that you overshare. It just means that talking about the journey is just as powerful as broadcasting a very perfect depiction of what you want your business to be. Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here. And I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now let's get back to today's episode. I love this point here. I think it's a great segue to get into just some practical points to help 
the listeners really understand how we can begin building out this brand. A lot of what you just shared is just some, some great points. Again, that actually really inspired me. The first time I heard you share that story was actually a, a conference or something like that. I don't, I don't remember where exactly, but it inspired me to realize, man, I could be doing a better job documenting the journey publicly to let people know where I'm at. And that, that would have been really helpful from, from day one, right? So what would you say to somebody who's like, okay, I know I need to do something with this. I need to actually show myself. I can't just hide behind the business logo and the product and the service itself. How should someone even get started with this? What would be some first steps you would say? Let's see, a couple of days ago, maybe last week, I was in a clubhouse room and unbeknownst to me, I wasn't, I wasn't even hosting the clubhouse room. Somebody else was hosting the clubhouse room. And then you raised your hand and then you came onto the panel in clubhouse and you introduced yourself and you said, Hey, my name is Alex. I'm a podcast host. And Jasmine, you're going to be on my podcast soon. And what you did there exposed your journey to the people who were in that room. And so it did take a level of courage and bravery, and we might roll our eyes, but truly to raise your hand and be seen, in, or not be seen, it's audio, but to be heard <laughs> right. in a galley of peers, it shifts things. So for people who say, but Jasmine, where do I begin? Why don't we start by having the courage to raise our hand? It's raising your hand in a clubhouse room. It is joining a conversation on an Instagram live. Even if you are the person asking the question or you raise your hand to go on live with the person, this is creating content in a Facebook group. This is coming out and uh, hosting a live chat on LinkedIn. Whatever it is, the first things that we must do to start getting our stuff out into the world is simply acknowledging that what you do for the first 12 to 36 months is going to suck. Like, suck. It's going to be terrible. Now you might hear that and be like, Jasmine, but why the disparity? What's the disparity between 12 and 36 months? It's you can shorten your learning curve and feel a lot more confident with what you're doing the more you do it. So if you showed up every single day for 365 days a year, by day 366, you're gonna have a little more swag. You're gonna have a little bit more of like the road underneath your feet. Now, if you're the kind of person who's just like, I'm just, I'm gonna try to be brave and show up once or twice a week. Okay, you'll get to that point. It's just gonna take you longer. So it's, it's sharpening the learning curve for people who want to deploy against it. And when we talk about this, this is truly for you to start building out your brand. I don't think that I want to build up my brand so that my mailman thinks I'm awesome or that like the, you know, the, the grocery store checkout person gives me a two thumbs up. I want them to like me as a human. I don't necessarily think that my brand is contingent on that. So let's just like hone in the conversation to if our brand is extended to customers, what do we want them to think or say about our brand? So then all of a sudden, you've taken this big, big, big thing or distilling it down to what do we want our customers to say? And once we do that, the easiest way to shape somebody's opinion, their words or their thoughts about you is to give them something unexpected. Now, I am talking about giving something that doesn't come with a cost and might come with time. The time it takes for you to create a piece of content that empowers them, encourages them or entertains them. Call it the three E's. Of course, you can create a litany of other content, but just for the sake of this conversation, if you want to get the ball rolling, if your content is falling in one of these three categories, you're one tiny step ahead about getting the engagement that you want. So once you pick out like, okay, I'm really going to try to educate. Awesome. What do you want to educate your customers about? If you are in the fitness profession, chances are you don't need to educate them about the recent episode of The Bachelor. It could happen and you can make it a tiny bit or a funny piece of the story. But what we want is our content to be looked at and say, wow, it's really furthering my business and me as a professional. So advice, think of five questions people ask you the most 
And then you can create content around those questions. So you're answering questions in advance, which makes somebody feel like, wow, I just got educated. Now, if nobody's asking you questions and you're really early in the game, I would suggest making a list of five questions you wished people asked you. You create content around that and then you see who's engaging and what was the most highest engaging post or content. And then you create more content around that. Uh, that's really, I feel like everything you say is just brilliant. It's like pure gold here. So um, I have to go back and listen and take notes. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Something you just said a few minutes ago that really stuck out to me though was, was me being willing to come on stage and admit where I'm at in the journey. And that's something that I think a lot of us, if we're coming out of corporate and moving into entrepreneurship, maybe struggle with. If you were, maybe I, I could be alone on this. I, I like to think that the listeners as well would feel this way. When I was in corporate, I, I worked in an aerospace uh, organization. Um, Jasmine, the, the audience knows this, but I wasn't an astronaut, fighter pilot, or skydiver. I worked behind a computer. Um, but I was managing teams of people, and we were taught to know the answer. And if you don't, don't let people don't know you don't know it. Go figure it out and come back. We always had to look like we knew all of it. And when I first jumped into entrepreneurship, that was a hard shift for me to, to now being someone who didn't know things and being willing to step out and look vulnerable as like, hey, I need help. Can somebody tell me this? And over time, I've been able to get really good at it. And I've actually learned that I'm less competitive than I thought I was. I'm actually more of a learner. I'm, I'm a curious individual. I want to learn from other people. And that's actually been something that's really served me well. I, I don't like post every day a new, a new question for people. But anytime I really do have a question, the first place I'll go is my, my LinkedIn audience. I'll post there and be like, hey, I know nothing about building an app. Can somebody point me in the right direction or tell me where I should start or send a blog post to me? Like, I just need some help. And a lot of people have been returning back to me and saying, wow, Alex, we really appreciate your level of transparency. Like you don't act like a know-it-all. You really are learning and growing along the way. Uh, where I probably fail is then going back and telling people what I've learned. I kind of dropped the ball there, if you will. Okay, so then one thing I would tap on is I would use, I would choose my my words carefully. It's a place where I fail would be not going and um, sharing what I learned. And I'm like, I wouldn't use the word failure. I, I, I know this like sounds like super woo and I'm like trying to coach and I'm really not. But I had somebody once tell me that like, um, if you look and classify anything that you would have classified as a failure and you actually just swap out nothing else, just swap out the words lesson or something you learned it then all of a sudden empowers you to see the lesson and then not repeat it again. So after this podcast, what you've learned or what you were made aware of is your um, desire to continue the conversation and share what you know. And I think actually that's like a really great point for anybody who feels like they're not in a position of authority or they're like, I actually don't know if I'm the person who should be teaching this, even though I want to be teaching it. I love, love, love that what you recommended is asking for that information and then crowdsourcing it. One thing that it would be very powerful for brand alignment was Let's say I wanted to build an app and I didn't know what I, I could or should do. I could invite somebody into one of my platforms to create content that number one teaches me, but also scales to other people. So on LinkedIn, if you were to say, okay, I found out this person to create an app and this person came back, I asked this person these five questions, I'm sharing them here now for you. If I, if you invited them on your podcast, if you invited them on an Instagram live, that kind of content then positions you just by osmosis and like a halo effect that you were just closest to the person who was of authority by proxy, you get derivatives, you get the sparkle effect of that authority. And then over time, you step into your place of power. That's so good. I love that. So if I want to shift gears here a little bit, as I'm kind of thinking just about some high level questions that I get asked a lot. What if we just don't have time, we feel like to, to make a presence known specifically on social media, where it's just we're, we're busy again, building the product and service and things like that. This should be prioritized, right? And like, how much time would you say should be devoted to it? Or what does that really look like? Well, I always say, 
like what you say becomes your version of the truth. So if you continue to say, I don't have time, that will be your reality. Now you could just as much say, I need to find a way to make time. Nothing changed about it except for your perspective. And then when you open your mind to seeing new pathways to get in results, things absolutely change. Your mind is a muscle. And I just wish I knew more about the power of the mind. You know, I didn't start actually understanding like mind work and mindfulness and retraining my brain until 2017. So I have just a couple years, few years under my belt about really being cognizant of what it meant. Now, as far as that goes, if you were to say, okay, how do I find ways to make more time? I always say there isn't a right or wrong. I can't say, do you do 67 minutes and you're guaranteed success? No, there's people who do three times that and they don't have success. So my advice is to do however much you can, however you can. And oftentimes, if you were just to look at your day and you know what, maybe you spent 30 minutes catching up on reality television. Maybe you sat in line at the grocery store and read like reality magazines while you waited to check out. I look at tiny pockets of time. I am talking about three, four minutes. If I'm doing anything, what can I do to move the needle in my business to make a difference and extend my brand? And so when it comes to creating content, I recommend making it a part of your workflow. If you do not make it part of your workflow or make it part of your tasks, it won't get done. And I will venture to say that there are some of the most best and talented entrepreneurs with insane business ideas and, and, and impeccable, unparalleled product. But because they didn't master the way of getting connections, getting people to talk about it or getting people interested, they had to close and shutter their doors. And as a result of that, I am saying that even if it takes longer to iterate on a process or build out a membership or build out a course or build out a product, but at the same time, you're building on an audience for it, you will start off already scaling at the outset, even if you're starting later than you had hoped. And even if the product isn't as good as you imagine, I believe when you iterate closer to the actual point of like deployment, things get back better. So for instance, in Social Curator, we are always like thinking, of like, what's going to be our next feature? What's going to be our next integration? And oftentimes we can get caught up with, well, what about the user functionality? How are they going to behave? And I'm just like, get it out. We are designing the ugliest feature of all time. I am telling you, Alex, and the team's like, Jasmine, we can only get it out because I want it by a certain date. I'm a little bit of a stickler. I'm like, it has to be by this date. And they're like, it is going to be the ugliest thing. I'm like, awesome. Why are we going to waste time and energy designing what we think a user will use instead of putting it on ugly, see they're using, and then spending the time and energy to design it perfectly according to their user behavior uh, based on how they behave, not based on how we want them to behave. That's what makes a feature good. 100%. We have a saying in Podmatch, and we just call it start ugly. That's literally what we call Ugh, it. So and everything we, everything we launch, it starts ugly. I remember when we so launched good. into early beta almost exactly a year ago when recording this. And the first hundred people that we launched with, they're like, you don't have a logo. And we're like, yeah, we haven't gotten around to that yet. Tell us if it works. <laughs> and do you like it? And they're like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> they're like, you should have buttons instead of just plain text. I'm like, yeah, we'll do that. Do you like it? <laughs> and you know, you build something off of that. And I think that's, I've never considered starting social media that way. And I think it's probably because, I mean, even you at this point, I look at your social media and it's done really well, but you've put in the time and the reps. I haven't. So sometimes I'm like, are people going to care if I'm just, posting a random picture of like what I'm working on right now, or if, if it doesn't look super professional, like, is that going to hinder me? And I think that that holds a lot of people back because we feel like we don't have anything of quality that to the world standard of like being super, I guess, polished. No, and things like that no, to share. no, 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 Alex. No, this is where I'm just like, no, because people say, oh, I don't have anything of quality. And I'm like, quality is subjective. 
there's no, there's no gold standard of quality. Because honestly, Alex, you say, Jasmine, I look at your stuff and it looks really great. And there are people, and I hear them every day, who think my, who think my content sucks. So who's, who's right about the quality, Alex or somebody yeah, else? I'd say me. I'd say <laughs> me. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, like if, and we see this happen all the time, all the time, is that Alex, you could work on a piece of content and you're like, wow, this is like piece de resistance. Like this is like my Gettysburg address and I'm going to go out there and then it just falls flat. And then you could put something out that you're like, yeah, I really just can, I'm just going to put this out today. Eh. And all of a sudden it pops. So if you've ever experienced that, then it's a clear indication that your barometer of quality isn't what the world thinks their barometer of quality is. And we all have that. So if quality is subjective, our only, our only guiding point, our only North star should be our availability to be unattached to what we put out and let the market judge it. I can't tell you what's going to be the most effective. I can't tell you if, you know, you sitting um, in a park on a bench is going to perform. I can't tell you if you doing a sing-along to a reel is going to perform. I can't tell you if where you shine is on lives. The only way you know is when you put the content out. So every day you put something out and then you judge. You put something out and then you judge. You put something out and then you judge. And then over time, the quantity of your work will determine what your audience determines is the quality of the work. But that only comes after reps. That's so good. That's amazing. Can you talk to me real quick about the consistency? Because you were just kind of talking about that a little bit. What role does consistency play in succeeding? Well, uh, I know you're in the workout world. Now, if I came to you and I said, hey, I want to lose, I want to lose 10 pounds. And you say, great, here's your plan. But I'm only doing the plan one or two times a week, right? I'm only meal planning one or two days. I'm only working out one or two days. And then if you give me the plan and I stick to the plan every single day, I'm going to lose the 10 pounds much faster than I would if I was half in, half out. It is the same thing for any discipline in life. If I want to become a writer, if I write once a week versus if I write every day, if I want to become a better cyclist, if I cycle every day, if I cycle once a week, Social media is the exact same way. When we talk about consistency, your actions must map your aspirations. If you say that you want to have 1,000, 10,000, 10 million, whatever it is, by a certain amount of time, great. Let me see what your actions are because we know that growth is possible on social platforms. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt. What we don't know is your willingness to do the work that it's going to be required to get the growth that you want. If I wanted to lose 10 pounds and gain mass muscle, you would give me a very clear plan. And if I stuck with it, the more I did it, the faster I would get the results. That's all consistency is in every aspect of our life. And if we talk about social media, I want you to do as much as you can, however you can. And if somebody were to push and shove me, like, give me an answer. I would say once a day on any platform you want to get really serious about. You know, this has kind of turned into like a coaching session for me. I feel like it's still going to be released <laughs> as a podcast episode, but um, I'm going to send you an invoice for this coaching. <laughs> right? No, no, it's a podcast episode. I promise. Right? Um, <laughs> turns into free coaching sometimes. Um <laughs> That makes me ask another question here, and I kind of want to get a little bit specific on social media as we kind of bring this thing toward the end of the the episode. But you just mentioned like posting once a day on said platform, whatever it might be. Do you recommend that everybody be on every platform? Should you find one that works for you, or which side of things would you recommend? Well, my answer to it depends on like the stage of business. Um, it depends on time. It depends on a lot of things. If you're just getting started or really just really want to get serious about it, I would recommend to test on one platform, see how consistent you can be with one platform and really develop a cadence of discipline. 
And then thereafter, and, and as a note, I'm going to ask you to choose the platform that your dream customer is on, not your preferred platform. So we have to be very specific about that. So let's just say that even though you really enjoy Instagram, you kind of know your dream customers on Facebook. So you're going to make the dedication to determine your level of consistency. And once you determine your level of consistency, you're going to bake in time for content creation, follow-up engagement, and follow-up engagement on your post, and then engagement on other people's post. That's like the little triumvirate that's going to make you move where you want to go. Now, once you've determined that, and then you start sticking to it, and then you start getting responses, and you start understanding what content is really taking off with people or hitting off with people, then you can invite a second platform in. So in Social Curator, we, we call it our pillar platform. What's the platform that you're going to be consistent on and show up? And then you have your secondary and tertiary platforms. So we don't think you should work uh, harder. We think you should work smarter. So you're going to pick your first platform. Let's just say it's Facebook and you do a long form piece of content on Facebook. Well, on Instagram, traditionally captions that are a tiny bit shorter, you could still have long form captions, but maybe not as long as you might write on Facebook. You could break up that Facebook post into two or three Instagram captions, and then that becomes your secondary platform. So same content, but contextualize a little bit different for Instagram users. And you're going to have to think about visuals differently differently than you are on Facebook. And then after you do Facebook, let's say the Instagram, then let's say, okay, the, the tertiary platform would be LinkedIn. Well, great. Well, it's slightly different. We know that like quote graphics work sometimes depending on what the photo is behind it. So we're taking the same content and contextualizing it for traditionally the audience on LinkedIn is a little bit more business oriented. So that's why when we talk about primary platform, your pillar platform, secondary platform, tertiary platform, same content, contextualize ever so slightly for that platform and then building in the necessary time to follow up with the engagement. It's not enough to take that content and post it on eight platforms without dedicating the time to follow up and engage with people on that platform. I feel like, thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> Sorry. I kind of went on a roll there. I kind of went on a roll. No, that was good. Uh, do you think that uh, kind of on the same point here that we can use something to schedule this out because now it's sounding like an mm. awful lot of time. Can we use one of these scheduling apps? Because I know there's quite a few of them these mm. days to actually do that and then just show up when things are posting to engage. Because again, if we are building a business or we have a product or service we're trying to get out, it can be difficult to spend too much time. There's got to be a fine line right. there, right? Absolutely. So um, I'm not against scheduling apps whatsoever. I think that they really help move the needle for a lot of people. I prefer to post in real time only because it puts me in, it puts me in the zone of where I am because what I'll do is I will post like, let's say like this, this morning I posted at 8am on Instagram. I put it out. And then what I did was I went back down to the, yesterday's post to catch up on comments. And then I hopped over to my DMS. I caught up with DMS. I went back to the Instagram post, caught up with the very first, um, um, comments that were on the freshest post. And then I'm like, whew, not going to touch Instagram for another five to six hours. And then I was out of it, went over to Facebook, figured out what's going on, on Facebook, caught up there. So it's like, I'm able to segment my time. But again, I believe that the personal connection is how we scale the unscalable. Like I am dedicating just segments of my day to do whatever I can, which is why I go back to, let's not really focus on like all these different platforms. Let's focus on building out a system. If you use a scheduler, that's awesome, but I'm going to highly, highly encourage you to set reminders in your day to go back and engage with that content. When I am posting something on Facebook or Instagram, I will absolutely be sure to check in within 30 minutes of that post to, to have early engagement because it indicates to the algorithm that I'm paying attention. The worst thing is to have a post that does really well and you have like 
let's say five, six, 16, 26 comments, and then you don't respond to that. That is a clear indication to the algorithm that you're putting stuff out with the hopes of getting attention without giving engagement. Now, social media is dedicated to do one thing, be social, but entrepreneurs use it as a vehicle for selling. That's why people aren't getting the results. So in my mind, I spend just as much time in the quote unquote marketing, which is just personal connection as I do in product development. Not everybody agrees with that. I get it, but I also know that this has been a key factor in our success. I think it's brilliant. You know, I'm thinking about this now, like with with me and maybe many other people are in the same boat. If I'm getting on there to do this engagement, it sounds like you are very self-disciplined. You have your time set in your calendar, which I like that. How do you keep yourself from just spending all day, not even on your own content, but you start scrolling and an hour goes by? I, I think for me personally, sometimes I get scared to open any social media apps because I'm like, man, I'm, what if I get like really interested in some things and I just start scrolling through it instead of working like I should. So it's, sometimes it feels like a better discipline to not open it up. Uh, do you have any recommendations or practices that have helped you with this? Yeah, you know, um, I, I hail from a family who struggles with addiction and uh, AA has been something like really wonderful to be exposed to. Therapy has been wonderful to be exposed to. And there are things in life, if people have an addiction with eating, people have an addiction with alcohol, you have to go through your life understanding that eating and alcohol is part of like the daily, like it's the fabric. So it's like, what am I going to say? I'm never going to walk into a restaurant again. I'm never, you know, that they serve alcohol, right? We have to learn how to be around. We have to learn how to function. Social media for however you want to look at it, has become ingrained. Even if it's not in your life, it's in the lives of other people. Studies have shown if somebody's at a table and one person brings out a phone, everybody within the next minute brings out a phone just to tap in, just to get that dopamine hit. It is a discipline to say, I'm going on for X amount of time. But it is even more of a discipline to say, I'm going on for an X amount of time. And if for some reason I catch up with all of my DMs and I catch up with all of the comments and I've, a few, I've given a few comments, it is a discipline to say, well, I have like 10 minutes left. Let me just scroll. That's the vortex. That's the black hole. That is Alice in Wonderland. You're going to wake up with a rabbit next to you and be like, what the heck happened? That's when you say, okay, I'm getting off. Now I say this, I say this because I want to be 100. I say this being the person who scrolled on TikTok so long. I got a message on TikTok that says, hey, we know being on TikTok takes a lot of time. We think you might have been here too long. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 So I say this as a person who understands how quickly we get like come out of it and like where did the last hour go? So I say this understanding that during the workday, highly, highly disciplined because I got too much stuff to do than to spend time consuming. I need to create. I need to engage far before I consume for my per personal satiation. Uh, so good. Thank you for that. Jasmine, this has been a super fun conversation, like coaching for me, it feels like. So <laughs> I've been challenged. I've been convicted throughout this myself. And I believe it's doing the same for many of the listeners. So before we close out today, I just want to ask, do you have any final thoughts on this whole idea of building a personal brand for the Creating a Brand listeners? You know, I think when I talk to people about building a brand, um, I could tell you what I think you should do. We could talk about social media. We could talk about what it means to have a, a website that's reflective of all of these things. And there's a lot of people who know exactly what to do and they know the way they should be doing it. They know how they, be sh they should be showing up. And what I've come to see with so many business owners, it's not a lack of education and it's not a lack of desire. And frankly, it's not even a lack of courage. What I see the most people struggle with is the idea or the weight of what other people will think or say. 
And I am not talking to the person who was really insecure in high school. I'm not talking to the person who was bullied, although that could absolutely be the case. I'm talking about the person who cares wildly for their parents or their partner or their children. And they care so much about them that they really want these people to validate, to co-sign, to encourage what they believe is the future. And so people will put their hopes and expectations and want other people to see a future that only they can see. And I have learned from personal experience and coaching 25,000 members through Social Curator that we will never, ever get anybody to see a future that we see. That is what makes us entrepreneurs. And if we're waiting for somebody else to co-sign on our vision, we might be waiting a really long time. So if you believe in your business, if you believe that you have the capacity to try, at least just try what it is you have to do, then the greatest gift that you can give to your brand is to focus on your belief. And for everybody else who you love and care for, they love you so much that they think they're doing you a favor by saying, I don't know, maybe, what if this happens? Are you sure? They're doing that because it, they love you, but it chips away at the thing that you're destined to do. So the kindest thing that you could do for your brand is to focus on what it is that you do and then to ask of people what you need. If you need to talk to a parent, a sibling, a child and say, listen, I know this is crazy and I don't know if you're going to agree, but I'm doing it. So the greatest gift that you can give to me is if you have an opinion that you don't think I'm going to listen to or think is positive, you keep it to yourself. If you have something positive to share, I'll be here for it. But what I need from you from right now is this. When you get silent acquiescence, aka support from people you love, you will be able to step into your superpower. And when you are successful, your results will silence their doubts. But you got to get to that point and give yourself the permission to get to that point too. That's such a beautiful way to end this conversation. Jasmine, thank you so much for your time and being a guest today. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate you. I think you're miraculous. Just as Jasmine and I finished recording, I told her that she didn't even need me there. She could have easily just given us a 45-minute keynote and called it a day. Jasmine's perspective and advice is beyond helpful. I'm having my team with Podmatch and with Creating a Brand go back and listen to this episode so we can better learn and understand how to implement the points that Jasmine brought up during this episode, and I encourage you to do the same. Jasmine, thank you again for being a guest and helping us all learn how to balance and effectively build our brands on social media. For links to Jasmine Starr's amazing podcast, blog, and to Social Curator, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 110. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week. Music.